That's right, you geeks. Welcome into the Echo Screen, the official podcast of the Clan of the Gray Wolf. As always, I am your host, the Commodore. Nope, no ding for you today. You haven't done that in a long time. I, I just, just wanted to see if you would do it. I, if just, I just left you to your own devices. I just like to make you wait and think. Maybe you'll do it this time. And then, yeah, like maybe. Lucy with the football, I keep pulling away from you, Charlie Brown. Yep, and I just keep falling on my face every single time. <laughs> Uh, and with me pulling the football away is Rue. Uh, Rue, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing sexy. Hey! Don't lie. What? Happy Canada Day! Canada Day! Woo! I'm waving an American flag. But you know what? That's because I don't have a, 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 a... I was going to say Chinese. That's what, I don't have a Chinese flag <laughs> I don't either. Have a Chinese flag. But I also don't have a yeah. Canadian flag. Just pretend. Use your yeah. theater of the mind, folks. Bingo. Yes. Um, happy Canada Day, everybody. And uh, we are not going to do anything particularly Canadian today, uh, just in case you were worried you or wondering. You hosers. You hoser. We're gonna we're gonna do the whole we're gonna do the whole show like the Great White North. Oh, it'll be fantastic. Got my toque. Oh, I sat out the window. Where? I actually do have That's a toque. The Great White North, eh? Got a toque right here. Um, no, we won't do that. Uh, but we do want to wish you Happy Canada Day. Instead. We've got some pretty cool things to talk about. So, um, we, we, as you know, if you watched last time, we did, we did not do what we promised to do, which was to talk about Game of Thrones. We're definitely doing that tonight. That's happening. So, if right now you haven't seen the end of Season 5, you should probably just pause this, go finish it, come back, unpause. Okay? All right. We'll, we'll, we'll We're going to do that. We'll give a spoiler warning. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a spoiler. Word. Don't don't worry. It's basically going to be all spoilers. So just like I said, just kill it now. Um, anyway, that is not the topic du jour. Don't worry. Um, the we'll do that during the news and notes because it's kind of newsy, right? People are talking about it. It's still relevant. Yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna encourage you. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're you're just too tired to object. Um, uh, objection. I object. I object to that topic. Uh, The actual topic du jour today is uh, related to game design. Now, the the thought was we would do a game design for dummies podcast. But let's face it. You and I don't know much of anything about game design. Or much of anything at all. Or much of anything at all, which is why we have this program. Mm -hmm. But... We do play a lot of it, or we have played a lot of video games in our time, now that we're old. And, uh, <laughs> good, Pause. You agree? Pause for effect. <clears throat> um, no objection there. And, um, you know, as game players, maybe we should be able to kind of assemble some ideas about people that want to design games and what kind of things they should start with. Um, what kind of things to avoid, for example, and discussion. maybe even share some of our favorite moments of game design or, or games that have been designed that we've enjoyed in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thought process. That's the topic du jour. And then we'll get to the third portion of the program where people can ask us questions that we will you know, potentially answer mm-hmm. live here on the air. How do you ask a question you might ask? Don't worry, don't ask it. I know you're too tired. 
Really? All you have to do is click on my name, Commodore128, if you're following along in the chat. Send me a private message. I'll do the rest. Well. Uh, or you can tweet at It's the Commodore. Checking that. Checking the tweeters. Live. <laughs> right now. You check about Twitter right now? Checking the tweeter. Ooh. Um, got excited because I, I had a tweet from Mike Nelson of MST3K, but it wasn't at me. No. I just hadn't gone to the notifications yet. So. Aww. Another day that I don't get a tweet from Mike Nelson. <laughs> it's like dying again every day. It really is. Every single day. Every single day. So. All right. So uh, let's get to a little news and or notes. How about tids and bits? What do you got? Uh, so I was actually looking for some Canadian news for Canada Day. Some Canadian mm-hmm. geek news to talk about. Apparently nothing interesting ever happens in Canada. So no. like there's something about... Like a Canadian goose hijacking uh, a horse from a Mountie. Uh, there's something about a maple syrup shortage. Um, mm. You know, Don Cherry's piano jacket was so loud today it uh, <laughs> it caused uh, an explosion in lower in lower in downtown Toronto. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Let's see actual news. What I've got. Um. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> so. Uh, this is something we actually didn't talk about last year, last week. I mean, okay. last time. Um, yep. That was E3-ish. But uh, YouTube has announced it is taking on Twitch with a live gaming platform uh, yes. called YouTube Gaming, which is super... Yes. Super... Uh, original. Original, It is. Yes. It's good. It's um, novel. Not a huge amount of details on, on the platform yet, but... Um, yeah, interesting. Basically, it's uh, Twitch has become a monster uh, in terms of uh, it's a monster. It's a it, yes, in terms of a, of a of a streaming platform. Um, let's see, twenty billion minutes watched every month. One point five million broadcasters. Eleven million videos uh, uploaded each month, and that's Twitch. YouTube's ridiculous. YouTube has something crazy like forty two hours of of video uploaded every second Mm. i might have completely made that up but that sounds right to me my point is it's a lot it's aggressive yeah my point is is that um these are two juggernauts of online streaming and gaming uh, or sorry uh, video production and um can 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 youtube take down twitch what do you think yeah or at or at least compete I think I think it could take down Twitch. Uh, you know, I'm a, nothing like this happens overnight. But I think the, um, you know, if, if any if any platform were primed to take down Twitch, it would be YouTube. Yeah. Um, There's really no other YouTube, competitor that would work. No, at this point. No, and and I think you know, the the concept of uh, YouTube kind of kind of slicing itself for uh into different sections for different kinds of i don't know things videos like when they change to the the music section where you could just go like click music and search for music i thought that was really a really great idea because now you know if i go and search you know i'm not searching like the regular youtube for for songs right it knows when i search for music that these are just you know these these are music videos i'm interested in right Mm-hmm. To me, the gaming thing is kind of the same thing, right? You know, I want to I want to search videos that are specifically about gaming. 
I just click on that and I can go get videos that are all about gaming and not just kind of gunk up, um, you know, the regular search uh, with posts about games. So that, that in and of itself, I think, is a great idea. And I could see it uh, bearing fruit. Yeah, uh, I think it's too early to say for sure either way. There's just not enough information to know whether or not what this is going to mean, whether it's going to flourish or implode. But <clears throat> yeah, yes, again, if if any platform has the capabilities to take down Twitch, it would be YouTube just because it's mm-hmm. already a massive video sharing platform. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that will be interesting to see is if uh, YouTube leverages HTML5 which it uses mm-hmm. for its video playback, whereas uh, I believe Twitch still uses Adobe Flash. Yep. Uh, and then there's also profit sharing. I believe it's a 50-50 split for profit on Twitch. And some big streamers might be lured over to YouTube if they can have a better profit sharing model um, yes. for that. Um, it, it's It's really interesting to see how much Google is willing to pour into this because... It's kind of a mystery if they even make money off of YouTube to this day. Yeah, and I don't is is video game type videos are they really that popular? They yeah yeah. But I mean, but I don't mean are they? I said the wrong thing. <laughs> Not are they? Are they this popular? But can they consistently stay this popular? Well, that's the rub, right? I mean, they've all. How long has Twitch really been around as a as a specific? Well, Twitch spurred uh, spurred came from Justin TV like what mm. three four years ago, something like that, yeah. and and suddenly yeah. was sold to Amazon for a billion dollars. Um, yeah, it, hey, that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, it's better than WhatsApp. Um, yep. But my, or actually, I think it's less than WhatsApp, but it makes more sense in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. How, how sustainable is this? This is, kind of goes back to the Major League Gaming talk we were having before. You know, how yes. how sustainable and or profitable is a, a, uh, a revenue model based on people watching other people play video games? Right mm-hmm. now, it seems can't miss. It's, it seems like the wave of the future. Let's Plays right. and, and Major League Gaming and streaming events and all that crap. Yeah, and, and, and but, all the consoles with have capabilities to be able to push a button and record what you're doing. You know, I was even like playing on Steam the other day and you can just hit a button and it'll record what you're doing. And I'm like, is it really this cool to be like, oh, I'm about to go beat this boss. I better record it. Like, well, I mean, you, I and, you and I don't so much get it. But I mean, frankly, it's for young, it's, it's for younger folks. Yeah, it's for people who have a lot more time on their hands. Um, yeah. It's like yeah. it's the it's the PewDiePie syndrome. PewDiePie is not for anyone really over the age of thirteen, right? Um, but he gets lots and lots of views from people in that low age age range because they have a ton of time, you know. These and all are, they want to do is watch him over and over again, right? And you know, do stupid stuff. And that's why he's popular. Uh, that's why he yeah. has so many subscribers because there's a lot of lot of young people on on YouTube that want to watch that, and there are a lot of people on young people on YouTube that or Twitch that want to watch lot people play League of Legends for 10 hours a day, um, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. We're, we're going on very long on this, but it's it's interesting. And I think I think YouTube could be positioned very well here. If nothing else, this is the reason why we stream on YouTube be, as opposed to Twitch, because yes. we have a large subscriber base installed already on YouTube. And when we go live, yeah. all those folks get on in on it. And that's why we, we're able to get you know, 
Uh, peoples. Few, yeah. Uh, a few you hundred peoples watching. A few hundred people every time watching and versus not nearly as much on Twitch uh, where, yeah. where we have very little presence. So, you know, there are some big, big channels on YouTube, gaming channels that could immediately become viable as streamers um, just by utilizing that YouTube audience directly instead of yes. moving them over to Twitch and saying, hey, watch us here. So interesting. Yes. And I don't know. Um, I don't know how this phenomenon continues on. If it does, you know, then maybe Twitch still be able to hold or is, is able to hold on to their position. But I, you know, I, I could easily see this whole thing kind of dying off and nobody really cared about, you know, videotaping yourself playing video games. But mm -hmm. what do I know? Um, all right. So <clears throat> I was going to talk about a few things, but I uh, the uh, Steam sale on uh, on Steam happened <laughs> and I did something I don't normally do, which is bought a bunch of games that I'm never going to have a chance to play. That's ever. shocking that that would happen from a Steam sale. Yes. Um, like, stuff is priced so well that I was like, oh, well, I need that. Well, I need that. The only thing I didn't get, which I which I really wanted to get, was Stick of Truth. Oof. And the reason why I didn't get it is not because I don't want to play it. It's because I know as an RPG I'm never going to put any time into it. <laughs> and I just couldn't see myself spending, like, 25 bucks on something I'm never, ever, ever going to play. Um, anyway... I did pick up a game called The Talos Principle. Yeah. Made by um, the uh, Crow Team, the same folks that made Serious Sam. That's a name I haven't heard in a long time. Nah, that's a, a long name time. I have not heard in some time. <laughs> so there is. Uh, this is not Serious Sam at all. This is, a, this is oh, basically a philosophical version unserious. of Portal. Yeah, it's unserious, Sam. Um, it's basically if you took Portal in terms of the 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 mechanics, right? so solving puzzles using objects around you in kind of a first person mode, right? Mm -hmm. And then you with it this intersection of um, technology and religion and what it means to exist. And, and that's that's what the Talos principle uses kind of as its premise. You all you can see are your hands and you have like robot hands. So you oh. can't see anything else. You just see that you're kind of a robot, but you don't know. But you have consciousness. And there's this guy with a deep voice who is telling you that he is your father. Like, you know, you're my child. I, you know, I've given you this this place and you're in this beautiful, lush garden with all these walls and it's, it, it kind of looks like an ancient Greek kind of place. And, um, he's like, you, you know, you have access to this whole world. You can go wherever you want to go, but don't climb the tower. Okay. Stay out of the tower. So it's this kind of concept of, of the garden of Eden and, and you know, where, mm. where did I come from? And, and you're slowly kind of connecting these or, or collecting these small, little elements of the history of this world which is you know an assembled kind of 
techno technological kind of universe here. Like, it's very it's very heady. It's like you know what is existence? What am I doing here? How does this work? And then for the first time, you see the tower, and it's this giant, awesome thing that goes all the way into the sky. And you look at it, and, you, and the first the first thought you have is, "Oh my god, I want to go there right now. That looks really cool." But then there's this guy in your head saying, "Listen, go anywhere you want to go. Enjoy the whole place, but don't climb the tower." So what happens when you climb the tower? Don't know. Haven't gotten that. Haven't uh, <laughs> haven't done it. I looked up at it and I was like, "I gotta, uh, I, I gotta, I gotta go to bed." Yeah, so I left. Yeah, I did. That's what I, did. I was like, oh, I'm going to bed. <laughs> well, all but, right. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's a really cool game. So, uh, and this is one of the games that got me thinking about our topic for tonight. So, anyway, all I wanted, right. to, uh, wanted to talk about that. <clears throat> so, uh, the last thing I want to talk about for news and notes is uh, Game of Thrones stiff. Yes. Interestingly, uh -huh. 19 years after its release, Game of Thrones is now number one on the New York Times bestseller list. Game of Thrones, the, the book. novel. <clears throat> yes. As in the first book in A Song of Ice and Fire. Yes. So that is it's crazy. That That is kind of crazy. So even... <clears throat> has that ever happened with another book? Probably. I mean, something like that. I mean, who knows? Um, but it, it, it's probably rare, <laughs> I would guess. So you have, you know, you have... Obviously, this is related to just finishing the fifth season, I believe, of uh, yes. Game of Thrones, the show. Uh, basically showing that it's still a juggernaut and people just need more. And so now they're uh, clamoring for the books. Uh, mass market fiction, Game of Thrones is number one. Dance of Dragons, 10. Clash of Kings, 11. Storm of Swords, 17. Wow. But I thought everyone stopped watching the show after Sansa got raped. Well, hey, spoilers. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> Damn it. I even told people we were going to warn them. But sorry, um, so sorry. Yeah, so no, that's good. I, that's, uh, well, you're... You're going forward on the books yourself, right? I am. Still? I am. So I I am um I am about I, I'm I have about a hundred and fifty pages to finish uh a feast for crows. So I have that plus another book to finish. But I'm slowly but surely working my my way through it. At this point, it's mostly to fill in the gaps that the show either doesn't talk about or has changed slightly. And now to this point, I guess it's kind of changing fairly drastically. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, he here's the thing. Uh, and we should probably put the spoilers tag up now, right? Don't you think? So, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to give us uh, 60 seconds to talk about spoilers. So if you would like to avoid spoilers, uh, you ha just... Skip ahead 60 seconds from now. Okay, go. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so the, the way that they're diverting from some of the, the things that have happened in the books, and nothing's crazy yet, but, but you know, uh, some of the minutia that is, is not all that interesting. But some of the more drastic things, like the fact that Sansa actually becomes betrothed and then is, is married to Ramsay Snow. Um, Pretty different. You know, it's, it, it's very different, you know. And the fact that Tyrion is now caught up with Daenerys, which is awesome on the show, but hasn't even happened yet. It's pretty awesome. I'm uh, yeah, that's a good payback or payoff, I should say. That still hasn't freaking happened in the books, but yeah. It seems like they're kind of fast-forwarding stuff rather than – or compressing stuff. 20 seconds. Yeah, rather than, you know, I don't know. Rather than <laughs> kind of spelling out each and every character, they're just kind of compressing things down. Yeah. And then with, obviously, the, the way that the whole season ended with Jon Snow – 
Um, you know, who knows what's happening from there? I don't because I haven't read it in the books. No one does. And that's why it's that's why it's exciting and spoilers done. Uh, that's yeah. why it's interesting because book readers and show watchers are now finally caught up with each other, and uh, it'll be interesting to see. I find it telling though that the third book was spread out into two seasons, mm-hmm. and the fourth and fifth book were compressed into one on the show. Yeah, so, yeah. You're reading through the book; you can kind of see why. Uh, you know what? I'm also they, they also cut about? a few storylines though. They cut it. They cut. See, this is what I was going to talk about. The entire, basically, the entire Greyjoy storyline is completely cut out of the entire show to this point. Um, Might come back in the next in, season, but we'll see. I'm sure I'm sure it will to some extent, but, you know, Balon Greyjoy obviously has been in the show and ostensibly is still in the show. We haven't seen him in a while. Um, you know, but what happens with the whole, with all the Greyjoys um, kind of in the leadership vacuum that comes out of uh, what's left behind Balon Greyjoy yeah. um, is is very interesting in the books. There's at least three or four chapters dedicated to it in just a Feast for Crows alone. That was yeah, more um, than that, I thought. So there, there's more than that coming, I'm sure. But it, it and it seems fairly important. And I'm I'm looking at this saying, how did they cut this? Um, in fact, I, you know, I don't know this for sure because I haven't finished the book yet. But it seems to me. The entire name of the book in many ways, although I know there are several references for crows feasting on things during the course of the book, is to me is kind of named after a central Greyjoy character. Eh, I wouldn't see it that way. I wouldn't see it that way. I think it's more of uh, after all the craziness of the Storm of Swords. uh, Yes, it's. It's a feast for gross. Yeah, the, the country is basically dead. Not dead, yeah. but it's uh, there's so much death and destruction. It's a it's a feast for crows. I think they literally uh, someone literally says that line. But anyway, yeah. But um, um, what's your impression though? I mean, are you, are you happy about where the show has gone overall? Yeah, uh, I think I think it's pretty good. There's some good things about the last season. Some not so good. The Dorn storyline makes me scratch my head. Um, yeah, they changed that fairly substantially too, especially with what happens after they leave Dorne. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's any important fallout from that. There should be, yes. but you never know. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, I, I am really wondering what's going on with some of the other abandoned storylines of the show that um, are either mentioned casually in the books or are out and out kind of spelled out as to what's going on with them in the books. So. I'm sure there's going to be a couple of things that get picked up in season six. Yes. But uh, that, that'll be interesting. Well, the really interesting thing is if uh, book six will come out before the next season, there's still hope alive for that. We'll see. I don't think that'll happen, but if I had to bet, I'd say it would, but you never know. Do you think, I think, I think it's going to be a seven season show. Is that what you think is going to happen? Uh, that's what they're shooting for, which seems like a lot to wrap up, but you never know. Hey, well, how do we know? We don't know how it, how it ends. Maybe, maybe well, a meteor yeah. hits the world and they all die. <laughs> and then they all died. The end. That's such a George Martin thing to do. <laughs> like, I, I, and, and, I, and I don't mean that from, you know, oh, the, the narrative's over. I, I mean, the way he writes. So, uh, man, I've got a couple of the spoilers I want to talk about. But the way he wrote this, this one chapter, we just saw it in the final episode. It has to do with Arya's storyline. Mm-hmm. The way he writes what happens to her is literally like nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. 
you go to the next page, nothing's happening, and you realize that there's only this much of the page left, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I'm gonna, I'm about to finish this chapter. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. The last sentence, all hell breaks loose. Mm-hmm. Like he writes one sentence, and you go, "What? What the hell do you mean?" <laughs> And so, you know, it's 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 one of these things where he, you can never one of the reasons that I do like reading the books is that you 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 never know when he's going to slip in something that just punches you in the mouth. Right. Um, you never know when he's just going to slip right in there. Yeah, absolutely. Never you mind, honey. Uh, when he when he especially when he writes about apparently Sam doing the nasty, because that was quite that was probably the most graphic writing of a scene that I've heard so far. Fat pink mask. So, Yes. <laughs> wait, uh, wait. Pink, pink actually is in that scene. I don't know if you remember. Wait until you uh, wait until you get to the uh, graphic description of Daenerys pooping. Oh, that's not good. I oh, don't want to hear that. You'll, you'll no. like it. Trust me. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that's our uh, Game of Thrones talk there. But I, I'm overall pretty pleased with the season. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought this season was kind of tough because they because they fast forwarded so much on storylines. Mm-hmm. The first couple episodes were kind of hard to follow because it felt like nothing was happening, even though things were moving very quickly. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. Weird. Uh, hey, and just remember, folks, until you have a dead corpse on a show, especially with George Martin or in the books. You don't know what happens. Anything's possible. Just remember that. Okay. If you just believe. If you just believe. There can be miracles. Just, yeah. If you if you just keep clapping, eventually Peter Pan will find his way home. <laughs> um, okay. All right. Um, so. I'm going to move to the topic du jour. Is that, is that time now? Let's do that. Let me, let me uh, wrap up the news and notes real quick by talking oh. about <clears throat> upcoming conventions. Oh, yes. Uh, which you are not going to because you suck. Yes. The end. Uh, I'll be at Camp Fan Gamer uh, July 18th, 2015, the weekend of, nice. which is in Tucson, Arizona, otherwise known as the Earthbound Convention. Yes. So mm-hmm. I got a couple of uh, panels there. Uh, the History of Earthbound Zero and Would You Like to Save Your Progress, uh, which is uh, uh, about video game preservation. So that should be fun. Fun time oh, had by all. Yeah. And then the following weekend, it's just craziness, uh, the weekend of July 25th, I will be up in Hamilton, Ontario. Canada Day. Okay, well, that won't be Canada Day, but shut up. Um, for Con Bravo, <laughs> which we have both gone to the past few years. I will be going by my lonesome this time. Uh, speaking of which, have you seen... No Commodore in tow. Have you seen the latest... Uh, Best of the worst on uh, Red Letter Media. Which one's that? Have you seen it? The latest one. The latest best of the worst. Whoa. Or the wheel of the worst. I'm sorry. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. There is a great reference to Hamilton, Ontario there, which is what I thought you were going to. There is? Yeah. So the video with the old people's convention that happens in Hamilton. That started in oh, Hamilton, Oh, the, the Jarrett Hall Follies. Yes. That's <laughs> all. All of that happened in Hamilton. That's Hamilton, Ontario, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Awesome. The 20th anniversary th- anniversary of the, of the Jared Hall Follies. That's right. So I thought you were going to make that joke. Like, in Hamilton, Ontario, the wonderful Jared Hall Follies, which I will be playing Uncle Joe. <laughs> um, all right. Maybe not. Good. Anyway. Oh, so, Hamilton. You know. Anyway. Okay. Those are your news. Those are your news and notes. 
let's yeah, let's that. get on to the actual Eat meat. Eat that note, that tid that bit. All right, so I God, have been overdosing on in my Crack. in my free time, of which I have none. But at least Speed. in the in the background noise, marijuana of my life. No, oh. in the background noise of my life right now, I have been putting on a lot of YouTube videos that have to do with kind of behind the scenes stuff. Um, you know, uh, a lot of uh, game creator interviews and some of the people I, I respect in the industry a lot. Um. And it, it got me thinking about the fact that I, I really like it when you have game developers that come up with this concept in their heads about how they create the experiences they create in video games. And to a certain extent, all of us are here because we love video games. Something about games we, we is were, engaging. Yeah, we were, we were conceived because of video games. That's right. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why it happened. <laughs> Um, and, you know, to me, it, it, it makes us think about the games that we've played that are, that are really, really well designed. Um, and I thought, you know, why not, why not do a show about if we were, if we were going to sit down and talk to someone who wants to design a game, how would we talk to them about how to do it? And then I realized, as I referenced before in this podcast, that you and I know nothing about that topic whatsoever. We are completely, completely unqualified to make this kind of conversation. <laughs> so, right? so that's why we should talk about it. So that's why we're talking about it because it's not a, it's not a game design for dummies conversation. It's a game design from two dummies conversation. So uh, anyway, we will, we will set our sights on trying to highlight a few things that we think are very important for anyone trying to make video games and then try to talk about maybe a few things, a few moments, a few games uh, that we found particularly compelling from a design perspective mm -hmm. and why we thought they were well designed. So I, th I think actually to start off, we would have to talk about uh, how during the Nintendo, not, not press conference, but the Nintendo um, uh, live event, Mm -hmm. Nintendo Direct, that's what I'm trying to say, mm -hmm. that was yep. you know, shown at E3. They were talking a bit about Super Mario Maker, which is a new game coming out for the Wii U where you design your own Mario levels uh, from different right. eras, you know. Um, looks really good. But anyway, you had um, you had uh, Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka, who uh, were initial uh, uh, designers, of course, on Super Mario Brothers. And they were actually showing off their initial their design documents mm -hmm. they, they would draw out on graph paper the levels that they for super mario brothers that they were designing and they would just like have uh kind of transparent sheets that they would put over it if they wanted to make modifications so they wouldn't have to mm -hmm. redo the whole dang thing mm -hmm. it was a fascinating look back at the design of super mario bros which i think most people would acknowledge as one of the most intuitive and best designed games of all time Absolutely, uh, it's kind of a gold standard, uh, especially really especially back in the day. I mean, if you look at and, and for platformers, for for pla defined two D platforming, kind of like how Super Mario three D defined three D platforming. Mm -hmm. Did I say Super mm -hmm. Mario Super Mario sixty four? Um, I know what you meant. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, like for example, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff that was amazing. Is that uh, Miyamoto explained how you walk 
to the right because uh, walking to the left gets you nowhere. So eventually you figure, okay, I'll walk to the right. You're walking, you're walking, you come across this mushroom-looking thing. Maybe if you don't know any better, you'll walk right into him. Assuming you're pretty like you know nothing about video games, right? Right. Uh, you walk right into him. You're dead. You're like, oh, okay. I guess that's bad. So yep. you start again. You walk over. You either jump on him or you jump over him after you figure right. out how to jump. And you're like, oh, okay. And then there are question blocks, which are a mystery. They they encourage you to interact with and them. And they're shiny. They're and they flash. That is true. I love shiny things. So I will try to hit it from below with my head because I'm right under it. And then yep. an, and then another mushroom pops up. It looks a little bit different, but still, I've already had one bad experience with a mushroom before. I don't right. know what I should do. Should I should I try to avoid it? Should I move to the left or right or try to jump over it? Uh, the, but the design of those blocks on uh, uh, right above you, unless you're like really crazy and you like run off to the left or, you know, if you're just if you're busy thinking about this super mushroom which bounces off of the uh, pipe and comes at you, you're pro- if you try to jump over it, you're you're going to hit the block above you and fall on the super bo- super mushroom. So it will kind of guide you into it and say, no, 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 right. this is a good thing. You want this, and then you'll yeah, grow big, etc. You know, th- th- so much thought put into the first ten seconds of this game, uh, this classic that already has taught you pretty much the, all the basics you need to know uh, right. for the for the whole dang game. I mean, it moves on from there where you have like your first pit, which is kind of small and you can jump over without running. But then there's a second pit where you need to run. So you have to learn right. how to run before you can jump over that, you know. And I distinctly remember that when I was playing it for the first time in the arcade. It took me a while to figure out how to jump over that second pit with a run. Right. But, one, but once I did, I knew how to run everywhere. So brilliant. Brilliant stuff, yeah. and I, I just wanted to point that out first, as that that is why a game like Super Mario Brothers is the gold standard for good game design. You have to think from a very early portion of the game how to show, not tell. Right, and and, and because all that to say, lot, show not tell. Dang it. Yeah, and, and well, it's, it's it's good though because I think a lot of games, you know, especially previously, there, there was a lot of onus on the manual. To show you control schemes, to show you move lists, or um, you know some basic tutorial type stuff, and all that's really gone now. And we all think, I think, to a certain extent about certain games that taught us to play them in the game, but I'm not sure many of us would think back to Super Mario Brothers as the example, right? Mm-hmm. Yet, it's it's a perfect example. It's an absolutely perfect example. Someone thought about the fact all the way through. Many people thought about the fact that we had to make folks comfortable with the basics right off the bat. And we want to do another thing, which is that we want to help them progress without making this too ridiculously difficult. We're going to make it a lot more difficult, you know, further on. But we're going to keep things... Very, fairly simplistic, fairly basic right now. And that, to me, touches on a whole different point, which is kind of the, the other really tough standard of, vi- of video game design, which is the difficulty level, okay? So you, you pointed out something right there, which I think defines, forget the tutorial piece, but just kind of a cycle, if you will, of how we play games. We, we are introduced to a concept, we get to kind of test that concept, 
we then kind of have mastery of that concept through challenges, through, like you mentioned, there's one pit. I've mastered that now. Oh, my gosh, there's a bigger pit. Now I, now I really have to know how to jump. Mm-hmm. But once I know how to do the super jump or whatever, once I, once I you know, super speed and then I jump, okay, now, now I need to master those skills. I know everything I need to know about jumping now. I just got to go figure that out. Yeah, and then you can apply so, that later. You can apply these skills that you master one at a time and combine them later on. Exactly. That's, that's what we call playing skill. a game. <laughs> and then we and then we can you know kind of continuously run around that circle. Now, if that circle is broken because the challenge is way too hard, and we've all played games like this, and this is why I started to think about this, or the challenge is so easy that you do it and you you didn't learn anything, or there's the control is awful, which plagued most of the other platformers at the time, right? Uh, yeah, to where you can't really master it because it. The controls don't work, right? Um, anyway, or any any number of different variables that make that go wrong one way or the other, then you've completely destroyed the formula, right? That you, that you outlined in the tutorial part there, right? Um, so for me, one of the most interesting elements and aspects of designing a video game is, is deciding how to allow the gamer to progress without hindering them so much that there is consistent death everywhere, right? Um, so you don't get discouraged. So you don't get discouraged, but you also, um, you know, you also know where you stand. You, you know, you know, hey, listen, I got to work on this or that, right? Um, and a, a great example of this, um, and, and, and there's a lot of, of examples of it. But one of them is actually uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Hmm, okay. I don't know if you knew this, but embedded in Castlevania Symphony of the Night was something um, that uh, that people didn't know about. And there are a lot of hidden systems in video games, folks. So there's a lot of games like this. But um, in fact, the Resident Evil series has this element to it. If you continuously die in the same place or for consistent reasons, the game will actually surreptitiously get a little bit easier oh. so that you can progress. I actually did not know that. So it's not official. Like, no one's ever made that announcement. That was, that's, never, that's never come out, right? Um, it's one of those things that people have to find in reverse engineering code from the game, interestingly enough, okay? But to me, that's even better, right? Because... If I came out, if I came out to to you know a show at E3 and I said, "Hey guys, guess what? My game decides if you suck and it makes it easy for you if you suck, and my game also decides if you're really good and it makes the game impossibly hard for you um, if you're really really good." Mm-hmm. People are going to be pissed off about that. You know what I mean? Uh, I was talking with someone this weekend uh, about Square Enix or Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest games, and. Uh, <clears throat> One of the ways in which this was done poorly, in my estimation, was Final Fantasy VIII, where you have enemies that flat out level up with you. Yeah. So in in theory, I can see what they were going for, where in theory, oh, when you're weak, your enemies are weak. And when you're strong, your enemies are strong. And there you go. You don't have to worry about it, about going into certain areas or powering up before you can go there. And like, in theory, I see what they're going for. Yes. In practice, it's like, well, 
you're kind of just wasting my time with these battles at all uh, because it's not right. like I'm getting anything worthwhile from defeating these hard enemies uh, yes. as compared to any of the easy ones. Um, yes. Because it's not like I can get super strong and, and, and progress. It kind of is like antithetical to the idea of the Japanese RPG. Yes. Classic one where you, right. you put in the time, you put in the effort, you level up and you kick stuff's butt. Yeah. You know, and it's just really frustrating because it's so it's so accounts for your level, your skill level in this case, right. skill level, really experience level. But right. you know what I mean? I do. And I think to a certain extent there. Right. You know, that's a perfect example. Some of the older JRPGs, especially on the NES. The game basically wouldn't let you progress. Until you would reach a certain level, until you played a certain amount, mm-hmm. it was basically impossibly hard. Otherwise, right now, to me, like you, I see both sides of that. I can only progress because I've done this much, which was predetermined in terms of a level. And let's face it, in in, in a lot of those early Final Fantasy games, that meant just kind of power leveling, running around and just killing whatever you can find, and a lot of grinding, as they say, the grind. Um, I find that fun in some instances and i find that a huge waste of time sure and and that's something by the time final fantasy came out i think a lot of people were complaining about and so they were trying square square i almost said square enix but it was square Mm -hmm. just at the time Mm -hmm. uh was trying to find a way around that and there are ways to help mitigate that but not that 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 wasn't a good system in my mind no it wasn't a a lot of people's so I, i think i think you're right and i think there there is a good middle ground and this is where we get into interesting territory. So we we had kind of the genesis of the open world game. Um, and the concept really was the sandbox, right? Where I can now really go wherever I want to go. So here's this is why a good design with an open world, to me, puts a wrench in the works for specifically what we were just talking about in terms of the difficulty. Because I think a good game puts barriers that are realistic in front of you and then opens them up for believable reasons, even if it has nothing to do with why they're actually opening those areas. Now, the perfect example of this to me is like uh, Link to the Past, for example, Mm -hmm. where you're just moving around every area that you think you can get to and it feels very open. It feels like I can go anywhere I want to go. But you start to realize that you can't go everywhere you want to go. Oh, look, there's this thing that I can't get past. Okay, well, you know, that's the edge of my universe for now. And then all of a sudden you go to a place and you beat a dungeon and you get a tool and you, oh, look, you know what I bet this would do? I bet this would let me go past that point. And the world keeps going, mm-hmm. right? I think of um, uh, what was, uh, it was actually Grand Theft Auto 3, where there's a bridge. Uh-huh. And the bridge is out at the beginning of the game. So you literally can't cross over into the other side of the city at the beginning of the game. There's a lot of reasons for that. But most of it is because they want you to get to a certain state of the game. So that going over to the other side introduces all of those characters, all of those properties, all of that part of the storyline, so on and so forth. So 
you know, you see that the bridge is out and it's under construction. You can't drive over it. And then you successfully complete a couple missions, whatever. And then the bridge, all of a sudden, they make an announcement on the radio. Hey, listen, the bridge is now available. You know, sorry for the inconvenience. And they, they wrap it in something funny and stupid. Sure. Right. You leveled up. And then I sing it. Yeah. And without, <laughs> yeah, and without thinking about that at all. Right. Now I can drive to the other side of the, of the city and everything's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea of kind of creating a sandbox that still feels really open and still kind of steers you in directions that um, help you progress, but allowing you, if you say, screw that, that's way too hard or that's not that's not going to be fun. I'm going to go do something else to help hone my skills or, you know, get involved in something else that is more fun at the moment and then go back to it to me is a great part of the open world system. If the only way to progress is this right here, this one little thing, and you just fill the world with a bunch of crap, that feels inauthentic. And I think there are people that have done that very poorly. But um, the Grand Grand Theft Auto series, one of the reasons it does so well is because they don't do that. Um, One of the reasons that Skyrim and and all the Bethesda games have done really well is that they don't do that. You know, they give you multiple ways to progress. You choose what the challenge is, to go back to your analogy at the beginning of Right. Kind of the progression that you take. <clears throat> I was going to say that's that's so you prefer the kind of clever way of masking not. Yeah, no, it's masking masking the open world, uh, preventing mm-hmm. you from progressing to the very end or whatever, yeah. like you will see in Grand Theft Auto or or Zelda versus what is mostly found in RPGs from Dragon Warrior to Skyrim, where it's like. Here's the whole world. Go for it. But hey, if you fun. go over here, you're going to have a dragon eat you in five seconds. Whatever. Right. You know, right. which yeah. which do you Sorry. prefer? Yeah. I I think that the there are going to be different strokes for different folks. What obviously every game designer is looking for is, the, is what appeals to, the, to most people. Now, the Dragon Warrior series, I, I would give them, I would put them a notch below where Skyrim is because you don't, usually have a scenario within which you are absolutely screwed because you take a wrong turn in Skyrim. There's always the possibility that you just go one way. and Like, for example, dragons don't even come around until you receive your first Thuum, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you, you can kind of progress through that part <coughs> of the game. So you have to go do these things before the world changes so that you're in grave danger from those things. Sure. Um, so again, I think good game design is a tight enough experience that it's it's open, but the, really the only way that you're going to want to move forward is kind of shown to you eventually. Now, it's it's kind of the I think of it like the magician's trick. Maybe this will help. If I ask you if you know when a magician asks you a question, right? You realize it doesn't matter what the answer to the question is, right? Because they just change the trick based on what your answer is, mm-hmm. right? That's what I think good game design should do. It, sh- it can give you a choice in the open world. But what you're doing might affect some change, might, might, might change some small details, but it doesn't stop you from progressing. It just says, oh, this is the way you were supposed to go the whole way through. And then you go, well, wait a minute. What if I had done that? And they go, well, I guess you'll have to play again, right? <laughs> to me... That is the ultimate in, in, in a fun open world kind of setting. So it's kind of the best of both worlds is what I think hmm. works best. Ah, so you turn into a Borg is what you're saying. Yes. 
Yes. The best of both worlds. Excellent. The best of both worlds. Um, so so I, th- I think there's that too. Um, you know, the difficulty we talked about, we talked about some of the setting. You know, another thing, here's another, another interesting thing. Where do you think people start when they design a game? Because I think this is when, you know, uh, do you, have you been caught up on Halt and Catch Fire, for example? I have not okay. seen the second um, season then. No, no problem. Because uh, there's some cool, there's some cool implications there that you should that that I we we could talk about here, but I, I won't go into it. Um, it seems very early for the time for them to be thinking about some of these things. But anyway, how do you think id Software, for example, decided to make Wolfenstein or to make Doom? Right? Where does that come from? Was that you know a concept? Did that start from a concept of wow, we really need to like push stuff to its graphical limit limit? And Carmack made that possible, so it's it's kind of a spectacle, almost like a tech demo. Um, does it come from? Geez, it'd be really fun to blow stuff up on screen in the first person. Does it come from? I've got this super cool idea where somebody gets transported to Mars through a portal to hell. You know, where does that where does that start from? What well, is the what are the nuggets of where a I game comes from? I don't think anyone started and said, "Oh man, I got this great idea for a story." Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm making this. I'm making assumptions completely here, but in my mm-hmm. mind, it was always kind of like a a tech, a, not a tech demo necessarily, but an idea of like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you could walk around in this 3D space and do stuff? What do you mm-hmm. want to do? I don't know. Yeah. Kill things, blow yes. them up. Sure, let's do that. Okay, I, I, things like that always to me seem more of a tech demo first. And a game yes. second, right? Uh, that might be a bit unfair, but that's just because I'm not a big fan of those types of games. Um, yeah, but I, I think things like first-person shooters, in particular, have always had the, uh, you know, things like the uh, Unreal Engine, you know, made yes. like, oh man, look at these amazing graphics you can see because you're, you know, it makes the most sense in a first-person view. Yeah, you want to see realistic things in front of you. You're you're mm-hmm. in that. That perspective, perspective. Is, is interesting. Right. Yes. And so, you know, what's the easiest thing you can do in that case? Ah, blow things away with a gun of some sort. That, that right. It's kind of like a the one of the more basic games you can possibly have. Um, uh, in a similar fashion, uh, a storytelling game like, like Gone Home, which also is mm-hmm. first person's perspective. And mm-hmm. the th- one of the things that people really praised beyond the story in that game was the technical aspects of it. Like, oh, yes. you can interact with everything. Oh, the graphics are great. Oh, it's really uh, atmospheric, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. In that case as well, I-, I wonder if the technical aspects were really determined first and then they built a game around that. Yes. You know? Whereas Super Mario... Uh, was more it, it seemed to be more designed around a game idea a platforming game idea and and Donkey Kong for that matter and then the graphics fit what they could do or what they wanted to sure. do you know, that's why Mario There's has a technical mustache limitations. Yeah, that's why yeah. Mario has a mustache yeah. and overalls because if you want to see the guy moving eh, you know just give him overalls and crap there's no story right. about him being a plumber from the beginning whatever no. They right. just wanted but it fit to fit what they could do. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I think that's a, a great concept. You know, <laughs> the, the the thought of you know, there are some games that that are clearly derived from what's possible in terms of the technology. 
And there are games that arise from a, a kind of different place of what would it be like to explore this world or, or so on and so forth. Um, I think both still occur, right? So I can't say that one is better than the other. Um, but I can tell you that, and, and you know, again, go, go watch interviews with some of your favorite game designers and you'll find out kind of where they start from. Um, but I think, I like to think that most of them begin in a place where um, they say, this seems like a cool concept. Mm-hmm. So a concept for a game, not a feature list, not a uh, feature type, not even a perspective, but a cool concept, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I like, uh, there's a, um, this trivia game I have, like, talks about the pitch for a movie, and, like, you have to guess the movie based on the pitch for it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we could do the same thing with video games. You know, like, what, what's the concept that, you know, that helps someone understand why they should play Super Mario Brothers, right? Yeah. Or, or, or any of your, your favorite games, for that matter. The concept, to me, is, is where people... And, and concept documents are always what comes first for a video game through in terms of classical game design. But, you know, that concept has very little to do in many ways with the technology. It has more to do with, wouldn't it be cool to do this? Or wouldn't it be engaging for the player to do this? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the experience, not the features. Yep. Not the um, technology. Yes. Or the controls. And that's, um, I think the argument could be made that you need to have your concept before you even think about how you can implement it. I, yes. I, 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 it's arguable for sure, but I, I would argue, I would argue that, that you need the concept of the game first and, and try to fit the technology around that rather than you have the technology and say, what can I do with it to make something interesting? I think that's why things like the Kinect failed. Mm-hmm. I see people in the chat talking about the Kinect. I, mm-hmm. I think that's why <clears throat> things like the upcoming Star Fox game for the Wii U, I, I don't have super high hopes for it. It was basically Nintendo saying, okay, we need something that shows uh, that the gamepad on the Wii U is worthwhile. What can we do? Right. Uh, right. Star Fox, make it work, Miyamoto. Okay, go. Yeah. You know, uh, whereas something it's like... It's a concept. Just not sure it's going to be all that, that much fun. Sure. It's just, it's a concept. It, it uh, maybe this, maybe the phrase begs the question is, is probably, it, it, the, the things like that beg the question. You know, the same thing with the Wiimote. You know, we have this thing that uses waggle controls. And you had a bunch of crap games that came out for it because uh, we got to use the waggle control somehow. Okay, fine. Right. Uh, same kind of thing with the touch, justify touch screen on the 3DS or DS. Not that all games made around the tech- to suit the technology were bad, but like things like uh, Legend of Zelda: Phantom Hourglass on the Nintendo DS uh, is not is not a, to me a very great game because it 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 was made specifically to use the the gamepad. Or sorry, the the touch screen and right. is lesser because of it in my mind. Whereas we haven't really talked about this yet. One of the other uh, great examples of great, amazing game design. You have Super Mario Brothers, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, Portal. Yes. What was done with Portal? They just took the Half Life engine, Half Life mm-hmm. Two, I believe, and and. Uh, you just know that they had like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had some sort of like 3D puzzle platforming game? Oh, well, the technology's right there. Sure, let's just use that. Boom. 
Valve actually kind of bought the concept for Portal. Interestingly, they assimilated. Yeah, it was like an the, MIT, uh, MIT lab. The or concept something. for Portal, which was come up with, I think, a bunch of PhD students. Yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, because they were like, "Hey, wouldn't um, it be cool to have a puzzle platforming game in 3D that would that, that and you have portals? What a great concept! How do we implement right. it? I don't know. Just take the Half Life Two engine over there. Boom, done. You you didn't have to fit anything around anything. Uh, and the original Portal is a, is a, is to me more of the tech demo concept. And Portal 2 is the perfect example of game design around a concept. Uh-huh. So the original Portal is, is, is not very long. It's, it's, it, is a, it is basically a, a, a great puzzle platformer that is, you know, action-based. And then you throw in, you know, with Portal 2, kind of this whole storyline of why this place even exists and where it came from and why you are there and what this, the purpose of all of this is for and all the decades you traverse through in terms of this world that they've created. Um, it's, it's kind of like the you know, Jurassic Park doing the, you know, hey, look at this island. What happens if we, we would make a, a, a park uh, you know, for, for dinosaurs? And then you, you read The Lost World and it's this whole concept of the behind the scenes and how all this came to be and learning more about what you what you think you already know. To me, Portal 2 is the perfect is the perfect example of the concept based around that technology versus the technology driving the experience, which would be Portal 1. Mm-hmm. And uh, to correct us, Pheasant Natsuke uh, makes the good point just to be correct here, uh, is that Portal was actually the uh, evolution of a game called uh, Narbacu- Narbacular Drop, which was uh, created by uh, a group. It was a senior game project by a bunch of students at DigiPen Institute of Technology. And uh, Gabe Newell himself took interest in the project, hired them at Valve, and then they came up with Portal. So, but, but the same idea applies as what we're talking about. It does. And I think if, if you're looking at a, at a company that does design incredibly well, Valve is, is one of those places you would start mm-hmm. because they, their experiences are, are so well-defined. Um, there's a reason that Half-Life 3 is still not around because they need a compelling reason to create another game. It's not just about let's make a new version of the old game. It's we really need to think of, of, of a reason why this is going on. Why is this happening? Why are we going to do this? How are we going to how are we going to kind of take this to the next level, right? Um, and for me, that, I really appreciate that. You know, they only make games when they need to, and I think they make them when there's a compelling reason to do so. If more folks did that, we'd have a lot fewer Call of Duties um, and a lot more with very complicated controls. Yeah. Yes. So anyway, I don't know if that helps. Why don't we get to some examples? So why don't you? We we, we sprinkle some in here, but yeah. Are there any moments in games where you where you kind of reflect on them now? You told the story about Mario. Mm-hmm. Where you reflect on them now and go, "Oh my God, what a brilliant idea!" Uh, for the time, uh, one that really sticks out to me is the opera scene from Final Fantasy VI. Um, awesome. Which is does so much with so little. And it's uh, very different from the rest of the game uh, in that you are, if you've ever played it, you're supposed to um, 
<clears throat> one of your party members needs to go out and perform an opera and uh, get the attention of a rogue who will steal her away. Uh, and to mm-hmm. do so, you have to perform a certain scene. You have to read the, uh, the the script beforehand and make sure you hit the beats at the correct time. You need to right. have the right uh, you know lines, and you also need to dance <laughs> with the uh, another character. And it's very cinematic. It's a uh, it's a it's a piece of great game design that really makes you feel for the character characters really two of them uh in particular at that time that in what is otherwise a a a great but otherwise uh, gameplay wise fairly standard jrpg you know yes Uh, and i always thought that was uh one of those times that yes it kind of comes to a grinding halt the uh or sorry brings to a grinding halt the the official narrative of the story, but it is a character moment that uh, elicits a lot of emotion. And most people who have ever played that game will probably name that one of their favorite RPG moments ever. Oh yeah. I, I, and I, I remember that very, very well as well. And, and I think it's, I think it's a great moment. Um, I, I've got a couple of things. W- one element I was going to talk about was kind of this, the way that, that sound and music can accentuate what's going on in terms of the game itself. Um, a design aspect you and I haven't talked about is one where the sound, um, you know, there's a little bit of reward here. So I know that I'm going in the right direction because the music is is telling is pulling me forward or the sound is pulling me forward or the mm-hmm. visuals are pulling me forward mm-hmm. yeah um environmental you know, where cues environmental cues you know where you you know video game designers never want to tell you where what they want you to do is look at a scene and start to follow a path naturally and then because you're you know because they give you small little cues you take the path that they want you to take Right again, it's kind of the magi- magician's trick, right? Sure. But um, one of the things that I think of in in something like Portal is, uh, for example, when you put the red substance down and that boosts your speed. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Whenever you do that, the music changes to this really fast-paced, speed-up music from where you start to where you finish. Um. And what that does is it, it, it just get, it naturally kind of gets your pulse going. Like, here we go. We're speeding up. Oh, my God. Here we go. Crazy. And, and you, feel that, you feel that moment so much more because of that mm-hmm. than just the, if you had everything muted and you were just kind of running along. Right? <clears throat> yeah. Or, you know, you, you progress in a game from a, you know, I'm thinking of like even a, a Resident Evil where the music begins – and that's when you know that you're in a combat situation. You're a Jill sandwich. You're you're a Jill sandwich, or might be a Jill sandwich. Jill sandwich. A Jill sandwich. So you're out uh, there and you're just like blowing people's heads off, and then the music ends, and you oh, know yeah. that that stage is clear. And it's just quiet now. Right. Which now it's is quiet, which so is also creepy. Because then you're very just waiting creepy. for the music to start up again. Yeah. Exactly. But that design element is so subtle, but it's so perfect. For for especially for a survival horror scenario, uh-huh. uh huh. I I love that. I'm that. gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw out one similar one to you, but mm-hmm. uh, in Super Mario World, 
when you when you're just going along as Mario and the game is a certain way, and then you jump on Yoshi's back, and all of a sudden there's like these bongos like, right. like in time with the music, and you jump off and they yeah. stop, and you come back on and right back and he's like, like, oh, that's awesome. I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't like. Subtle. It's a subtle. I mean, you could even argue whether or not that's really gameplay, but it 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 it's what you said. It gets you in the moment, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm on a dinosaur. I'm gonna eat yeah. some enemies. This is awesome, you know, stuff like and that. And even if you aren't thinking about it, and this is why I love it, it's psychological. Mm-hmm. You may not have noticed it, but your brain did. But your there you go. But your brain did, <laughs> and you, and you start to feel differently about that experience. You know, if if Mario got a coin and there was no noise associated with it, mm. that sounds sad. <laughs> it's a very it's a, isn't that a fundamentally different experience from when you grab a coin and there's the satisfying you know like oh I, I got a coin right um, it, these kinds of, of elements are subtle touches that make things so much fun when a dragon comes down in Skyrim the music changes to this epic dragon music right and you know you're in the middle of this fight. It's very cinematic. It's supposed to change your mood so that you feel like you're in that moment, right? These are the kind of things that I love. Um, I'm going to talk about one other design moment that I thought was just fantastically done. And that is the very first scene, the really, really the first sequence in the game Bioshock. Mm, okay. Um, so, you know, there is this kind of what you feel like is kind of an opening movie because uh, you can't really see anything, but you're it's still in first person. You're like sitting there and you pull up a, a picture of your family and you're like, oh, you know, I miss them and all this kind of stuff. So you already have this concept that, number one, this is old. This happened in the past. Um, and secondly, that that this person traveling in this plane is, has got kind of a deeper storyline. It's sentimental. There's like a single violin playing. And then the plane starts to shake, and then it inevitably crashes. You are sinking. You're drowning in this water. And you see, like, this plane kind of sinking next to you, and yeah. everything looks like you're going to die. And all of a sudden, you just kind of, like, see the, the, the water coming up on you, and you go, <gasps> and you're, you're, in the, you're in the middle of the ocean. You can't see anything except your plane sinking next to you. Again, the reason why this is perfect is because you feel like you are in the middle of the ocean and you're going to die because no matter where you go, and it looks like you can swim anywhere in the world, you're, you're going you're gonna, you're gonna to get lost. You right? know where to go. <clears throat> but you can't swim in any of the wrong directions. You can only swim like this direction. And the reason you can only swim in that direction is because fire has ignited hmm. on, the, on the surface. And the plane blocks the other way. So there's only kind of one way to swim. So you start swimming just to survive, to get out of there. And by the time you get to what looks like the open part of the world, you see this lighthouse on, this, on these rocks. And you go, what the hell is this lighthouse doing in the middle of the ocean? So you swim up to it. It's got steps that come right out of the ocean. What the hell's going on here? You start to walk up the steps. Everything's very creepy, very atmospheric. Like you just survived a plane crash. This is, this is terrible. What's going on? So it draws you in. And then you get up to that first door and you go, oh, my God, look at this. These, this lighthouse has these huge doors. There's no way they're going to open. And then they open and you walk in and there's this huge bust of Andrew Ryan like looking down on you. that says, you know, no gods, no kings, just men. Mm-hmm. And 
that right there is is basically three minutes. It's a three minute sequence, right? Where failure is almost impossible. You can't go the wrong way, but you are completely enveloped by the moment itself. It's very visceral. It feels real, right? And you get a glimpse into what the game is all about philosophically just by progressing for those th first three minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a, a, a repeating theme with uh, what we're talking about here with good game play is uh, a, a guiding hand, but not a... Uh, not a not a a sledgehammer that's know? it you you whereas games like most most um most famously recently it was i think it was one of the call of duties maybe one of the modern warfare ones where uh early on in the game your friend who you've known for all of 30 seconds dies and you're supposed to feel really sad about it and you're sitting in a funeral where you're circled by everyone you can't escape you can't talk to anyone literally all you can do is walk up to the casket where it says press F to show respects. That's it. That's, that's it. That's all you can do. And not only that, but you're told that's the only thing you can do. It's right. like all the subtlety of a, of a freight train, basically press, right. press F for freight train. So, yes. But anyway, I, I like that. I think that's, it's, that's a good aspect. And I think the guiding hand concept is good. Um, but I think the reason the guiding hand works is because good games are all about the concept and they're all about you creating in some ways your own experience. So I think a good game in some ways allows you to take over what that experience is. I think one of the reasons that Minecraft is so successful hmm. is because it allows the story to be your own story that you kind of write as you go along. It's a progressive story that happens while you're in the game. Yeah. Um, and I, I, to me that is... That's such a novel concept. It's so difficult to find where the story is not. There's no story at all, actually, in Minecraft. Minecraft is completely storyless. Mm -hmm. Except for the one you make. Except for the one you make. And, and for me, that's true in Skyrim. And that's true in, in a lot of other kinds of games. Because, yeah, you're going through a lot of pre-scripted stuff. But at the same time, you can do it in almost any order. You can do it in ways that that are you know completely conventional. You can do it in ways that are completely unconventional. You can do it. You can choose your own path. You can choose your own profession. You can choose choose your own way to go through these these kinds of things. You become in many ways the director of the experience. That so even just beyond the guiding hand, games that put you in the driver's seat to me are the best experience in games. Mm -hmm. What you do really has an outcome really makes things change it makes you makes every action you 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 choose substantial and you could link that from like tetris all the way to like you were talking about some of these massive rpgs that we're talking about you have a hand in it your your choices mean something and you feel like you're 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 affecting change while you're having fun in uh, in this universe, right? Mm -hmm. Agree. All right. See, so we we did pretty good there, considering we don't know anything about game design. Way over time, but you know what? Same as always. Yeah, we talked a lot about Game of Thrones too. So someone did. Hey, George, R. I R. had a lot to talk about. Um, 
Okay, folks. So that's our, our little conversation around game design. I, there's a lot of the things that we probably could talk about, you know, um, that I'm fascinated by. But here's a challenge I'll give you. Go check out some videos of some of the people that you love that make video games that you like and find out what their concepts were when they came up with, uh, with some of the best games that you enjoy. Because, you know, maybe you learned something about oh, yeah. where it came from and, and how you could do the same thing. Like I said, one of the, strangely, one of the highlights of E3, of E3 this past year to me was uh, <clears throat> Shigeru Miyamoto showing off his design notes and talking about the uh, game design of the original Mario. And that's... Yeah, it's awesome. It, it, it's fascinating. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm looking forward to Mario Maker, because uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what the community at large comes up with. Um, yes. I think crowdsourcing Mario levels is one of the greatest uh, ideas that could go out there. No. Absolutely. Anyway. So, All right. So now we need to get to questions. And we've got, we've got a fair number of questions that have come in so far. But, folks, just as a reminder, uh, if you would like to have us answer a question live on the air, all you have to do, if you're following along with, along with us in the chat, all you have to do is click on my name, Commodore128, send me a private message. I will assemble all of these as I have been doing surreptitiously behind the scenes throughout the entire podcast. Uh, I will I will uh, answer those questions live in the air, or you can also tweet at it's the Commodore, and I'll take questions there as well. Lots of cool things already coming in. Let's get started. Well, I got one before you even start. Okay, because I saw it in the chat, and I think it's important. We had okay. we had Tom Servo a little mm-hmm. while ago ask us. Yes. Are we Mike or Joel guys? It makes um, sense that think, Tom Servo would ask us this. Yes, and I think you and I are both probably going to answer the same way. Yes. I'm definitely a Mike guy. Yeah, me too. I like Mike. And I, it's not that I dislike Joel episodes. No. But Mike, to me, is funnier. I know Joel's the whole reason why the show exists. Oh, totally respect Joel. Yeah, but Joel's um, awesome. I think but Mike's a, a Mike better guy. presenter. Uh, I, I'm, I don't think Joel was like, hi, Every time that he was recording, I think that's just his personality. But yes. it's it's a little too low key for me to be really excited in everything he's talking about. Plus, yeah. plus, frankly, some of my favorite episodes are Mike episodes, regardless. Uh, uh, Puma Man and the movie Time the movie Chasers, yeah. Uh, yeah, greatest stuff. Uh, I love all all MST3K. But Joel was actually featured on an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry <gasps> Seinfeld. Uh, I just started watching that. Yes, and uh, <laughs> I haven't the, the seen Joel that episode. Really good. Oh, but no, but it's that. interesting because it's these are people that Jerry Seinfeld finds particularly funny. Um, turns mm. out that Joel actually co-wrote the first HBO special that Jerry Seinfeld performed in. Really? So um, I gotta see. This. So they were friends. Blah blah blah. But but he, he you know these are people that he really respects a lot. So he brought him on the show. And you can see Joel's personality is exactly the same as it is, you know. Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure what you see is what you get. Yeah, that's who he is. And um, uh, the one where he's talking with Carl Reiner and uh, 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 mm, Mel Brooks. Oh, uh, yeah, Mel Brooks. Classic. I love it. Best ever. May, uh, only except maybe the, the Michael Richards one. The Michael that's Richards one very is good really too. good. That's, that's actually why really I started good. watching it because I, I heard about that. And I was like, this sounds yeah. interesting. That one is good. The best thing, or the thing I've most learned from watching uh, that series, though, is that uh, Jerry Seinfeld's kind of a dick. Kind of a I, kind of a dick. I've heard that. I've heard that Jerry Seinfeld's a, 
a, a dick. I've heard that. I've heard that for years. But yeah. you know, I'm not sure that the show confirms it. I yeah. I think I, I kind of like Jerry Seinfeld. I, I'd be like, hey, yeah. I want to ride with Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. Kind of a dick. Yeah, I yeah. like him. I think we'd be friends. Anyway, all right. So uh, here we go. Holiday Howlett asks, with all the hubbub about gender choice in video games. Uh, do you think Metroid or Tomb Raider should have male options? Why? What's the I don't thing? think so. No, those are we, telling... I mean, those aren't games where you have a f- uh, flat... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't have a blank slate character. It's not mm-hmm. like Dragon Quest Three or Nine or something like that, where you're basically like, make your character from scratch because it's going to be whatever you want. Go. Or The Sims, or whatever. It's it's a game with those are games with stories, albeit loose in some ways. You know, Samus is a woman. Uh, Tomb Raider, uh, sorry, Lara Croft is a woman, and uh, yes. that not only is integral to the lore that's been developed, but it's important to uh, the stories that can be told. You know, there are certain things that may happen in a story to a woman that wouldn't happen to a man, uh, and, True. and vice versa. You know, it's like. Um, <clears throat> it's like uh, blah, 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 blah. there you go bloopy bloopy bleepy bloopy 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 it's like having I'm trying to think of a of a video game that really wouldn't work if you suddenly change the antagonist or protagonist to a female um, mm. but that's the thing it's, whatever it's they exist kind of tough yeah uh, yeah uh, it's like, how about, it's, like um, it's like for example sorry it, it was it was it was um, kind of controversial at the time, but I think when the latest, maybe it's not the latest, one of the more recent Tomb Raiders came out, and there's a scene near the beginning where it's kind of like, oh, this is getting a little potentially rapey because she's like captured and these guys are skeezy and blah, 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 blah. I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, I can't believe that that's in a video game. I mean, nothing overt happens, but still the fact that you're like, Huh, she's like tied up and these guys are a little yeah, there's a there's a potential threat there that's that wouldn't be there if it was like uh uh the guy from Uncharted or something like that, you know. Duke um, Nukem. Duke Nukem would yeah, be a tough game Duke to Nukem pull would off be, with a female protagonist. Yeah, that that's just ridiculousness incarnate to yes. have a fe- you could it's, have, and it's meant to be over the it's top. It's meant to be a guy. Nasty. Yeah, exactly. Right. Whatever. Um yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think what's what becomes more interesting to me. <laughs> Tomb Raider is a woman. Is um, what I think. What I think becomes so more Metroid. interesting to me is that you go once you get into the thick of things. You don't care that Samus is a woman or a man. You don't care that Laura Croft is a woman or a man. You're still kind of sucked into the experience, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to help them survive. Slash, you are. You know, they become your avatar, and you're not really worried about what gendered experience they're experiencing. Right. I mean, I mean, it's not. Yeah, but but it. I think it is a helpful, uh, helpful experience. Hey, yeah. the the baby Metroid from from uh, a few of the Metroid games, Super Metroid, Metroid Two, attached itself to Samus, and she became a motherly figure to it. Could that have worked if she was a guy? Sure, but yeah. but but I think there's a little bit something extra there because there's the mother. Uh, archetype that she's fulfilling you're like oh okay i she she has this motherly instinct for this horrible energy sucking creature creature. yeah Yeah. you know that that works better because she's a woman for example so i mean 
you know, I don't, I don't think you need to whitewash gender in video games. Uh, yes. Yeah, you know, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. No, I, I like that. That's good. Um, Donovan asks, which kid were you in heavyweights? Did I understand that correctly? New <laughs> listener. Um, I, I was an extra in heavyweights, so yeah. don't don't think that I was like Jerry or anything like that. Uh, I certainly wasn't featured. The running joke here is that I was a co-star with. Uh, oh yeah. Several. Not only uh, very famous directors in Ben Stiller and the guy that's that's uh, directed Bridesmaids, but that's just um, what he's called the guy who directed Bridesmaids. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know his real. Who knows his? Who knows what his real name is? No one. No one knows that. I can see him. Uh, there's a point where he actually goes like this. He's like it's in the dance scene. He goes over and he goes like this, like that. Uh, What's funny is I actually did that to him. He's doing that to me. So I, I don't know why I did this. But during one take, we did the take 10 times. During one take, he's walking up and I went like this. And he just goes, and that, that's, that's stuck in the movie for some reason. I don't know. You, got, you made that movie. You, you, uh, I really did. I really did. You really brought it, it to life with that. If, if it weren't for me, where would it be? Uh, it an be entire generation would be, would be bereft. Of heavyweights, I am. I am desperately trying to find the picture of you in the back in the dance scene in heavyweights because uh, I know I have a picture yeah. of it somewhere. But uh. yeah, somebody tweeted it at me at one point, but I don't know how far back this goes. Uh, Razalon asks if you could design a game, what would the setting slash plot be? Tough question. That is a big question. Um, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I'm intrigued by everything, right? I love. Mm. I love Halo, the Halo universe. I mean, there are times when I get totally stuck in that concept because it's so good. Um, you know, I love historical period piece kinds of games, right? Um, then again, I, I really enjoy kind of fantasy worlds that are kind of... Um, so you're, I'm all over the map. I'm all yeah, over the map. I was going to say, I, so you're kind of indecisive is what you're saying. But if, if I were to make one, I would probably say... The thing that that probably uh, that I'd probably be most excited to do would be something like a Heroes of Might and Magic type game, oh. set in in kind of a um, um, kind of a self-contained uh, fantasy universe. Um, that had some kind of classical fantasy elements and also some kind of contemporary fantasy elements. But I, that, that to me sounds like a lot of fun. I'd, I'd like a game like that. Maybe they're making that game. Maybe that's going to be the next Heroes of Might and Magic. I don't know. That would be interesting. Um, I would love to see a civilization type game in mm -hmm. the Star Trek universe. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, <clears throat> and the closest I've seen is uh, Galactic Civilizations 2, which is like a 4X space sim, um, which is really interesting. And uh, you can mod it to... Mm. So you, you can like hand, kind of hand mod it to have uh, rename some of the factions and things like that. And I know there's this Galactic Civilizations 3 that's recently come out. I don't have the time to play it, unfortunately. Right now, it was also on like sale to. during the Steam sale. Oh, of course it was. Um, but it was uh, tempting me. I almost it. bought the Civ Five Civ Five Complete. Oh, if you but, haven't, you should. You should really buy yeah, that. I, I can't. Can't do it. But uh, again, yeah. no time. I think that'd be interesting. 
I don't have time to play the own, my own game I, I just suggested making. Uh, Psychopather asks, what type of rib sauce, oh, rib rub slash sauce slash seasoning do you prefer? Ooh. It's a good one, huh? Ooh. Uh, rib? I'm kind of a has- sweet sauce kind of guy. Mm, you like the sweet sauce, huh? I like the sweet sauce on the ribs. Uh, I used to be more of a sweet sauce guy. I think I'm moving more toward a bit of the spicy sauce. Not super hot, but I like it to have a more of a savory taste to it. A savory, yeah, I, I got you. But I, I think the perfect mixture is something that starts sweet and ends savory. But you know, and it's harder to do correctly. But you know what I think the best is what. A really good dry rub. If it's done dry well, rub is tough. if it does, yeah. if it's done very well on ribs, I'm talking specifically about yeah. ribs. If it's yeah. done really well, then uh, you, uh, oh, there's nothing else like it. Yeah, I agree with that. I still like kind of dripping honey sauce ribs, though. I, I'm, I'm all over that. I mean, I'll take some of all of them, but you know, I mean, honestly, you know, some of the best ribs I've ever had. Um, was it Spanky's? Mm. They had the brown sugar rub. Oh yeah. Oh, that was something special. You don't see, see that. See brown sugar. That's what I'm talking about. The little sweet. I know. Yeah. No. That, in that case, it's like oh, oh, oh that's so good. Um, yeah. Now I'm hungry. Thanks. Yeah. See, this is what I do to you. <laughs> uh, speaking of spicy, Stubby Bro asks question for you both. First celebrity crush, make it spicy. Ooh, I think I know this. Um, First celebrity crush. I know who this is. It's Jennifer Connelly. Oh, for me, yes. No, no, for me. No, for me. No, she's mine. I'll kill you. No, she's totally no. mine. Nope. Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly. In um, Labyrinth. In Labyrinth, yeah. I remember distinctively being like four years old, five years old. Yep, right around there. Watching that movie at a friend's house and being like, whoa. Like, she is the most beautiful woman ever. There has never been anyone more beautiful than Jennifer Connelly. Yeah. And at that point, she was like 16. Yeah. Yeah. So So perfect. That's pretty. Yeah. It's good. (laughs) That's prime Jennifer Connelly time. Um, Yeah. Then she like won an Oscar or something. Um, Whatever. Yeah. No, it's all good. (laughs) Uh, That wasn't very spicy. I... uh, Spicy. I don't know. Sorry. We're, we're more sweet than spicy. Um, yeah, it's pretty sweet. Broccolope asks, how many cups of sugar does it take to get to the moon? Three. Precisely 15. One? To who? Um, three. 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 Uh, here we go. Sigurds asks... Nintendo says they don't want to release information on the NX because they're afraid that competitors will steal their ideas. Mm-hmm. Do you think this means that they're coming up with another gimmick? Well, hold on there, partner. One of the reasons that, 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 they, that they've come out and said that they don't want to reveal about the NX is that they also don't want to cannibalize their own business. So as much as the Wii U is, for all intents and purposes, a walking dead, <clears throat> yes, I said it, kind of console, mm. right? They, they certainly don't want to kill it. By saying, hey, wait, prematurely, it's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's really good because it's got this and this and this. So don't buy any Nintendo Wii stuff. Just even if you own one, throw it out. 
Well, it, you're yeah. not going to need it anymore. Because also, and don't buy any games because we're going to come up with this thing, which has got all this cool stuff and it's going to play all these games or whatever. And they, if they reveal too much about that, they cannibalize their own business as well. Yes, and also besides that, they just started showing what the NX is and what it can do to third parties <clears throat> at this year's E3. So they yes. need they need to set some things up before right. they really announce anything. They don't want to blow their wad too early. So yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Oh, by the way, and I was reminded by Psychopather beforehand, uh, actually this past weekend, because I saw him. Mm -hmm. Last episode, we were talking about the plural of amiibo. Apparently, it is amiibo. Amiibo is the plural of amiibo. Yeah. Got it. It's like deer. There you go. What? No, deers is the plural of deer. Oh, right, right. Obviously. Deered. Also, he just yelled at us that we aren't talking about the Nintendo 64, even though this is the 64th episode. And see, I told you. I told Good you it was going to be a we problem. Well, well, Someone we ask us a question. Six, we can make the 65th episode about Nintendo 65. Ooh, that sounds great. The, hey, the, what you thinking about that, did you? The canceled sequel to the N yeah. N64. Xbox 720. Um, why do you, uh, Oh, sorry. Pheasant Netsuke asks, why do you think that, quote, unquote, level up, has become so characteristic of RPGs. I mean, even Call of Duty has levels now. Oh, wait, why, well, is the, why is the phrase level up? Or the concept of level up, right? So, oh. you know, it's a great question because I think to a certain extent, right? Again, this is a great design conversation. You can have a game that helps you progress. So I'll use Skyrim again because Skyrim's a great example. Because you're obsessed. Because it's probably one of the, my favorite games of all time, if not my favorite. When you go into the, the skills part of the game. Now remember, everything you do in Skyrim, when you, if you do it more and more and more and more, you get better at it, right? Now, getting better at something can be something that can happen organically without ever telling you you got better at it, right? Mm-hmm. But that would be kind of bad because you would never know that you got better until you just did something better, right? And there's none of that same kind of shiny coin concept that I was talking about before where there's a reward system, all right? So what I think Skyrim does really well is that, first of all, it notifies you with a sound and with a notification every time you gain a level in a particular area, Right? But it also, it also, when you pull up the screen, you can see an actual number that represents that. Like, geez, if I only got to four more in my heavy armor classification, I could wear this full plate I just found, right? Because otherwise, it would just be, why can't I wear this frigging armor? This is so You know, oh, well, you know, maybe I just need to go get better at my armor. There's no way to really measure it. So... You know, remember, folks, video games are, are supposed to reflect and refract at the same time reality, right? They want to they want to look realistic. They want to they want to resemble reality to a certain extent, but they also want to break reality in in very certain ways. Otherwise, it wouldn't be fun, right? So, if Skyrim didn't have any kind of graphics in terms of you know user interface or my power meters or anything like that. And it was just you running around trying to kill stuff. It would be very realistic, but it would be incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I think that goes back to the whole rewarding putting time in. 
time right. and effort into your game. It's, tang- also it's a tangible you, result. It's tangible. That's tangible, but also it is uh, empirical. It's tangible and empirical. We're using all the, That's the uh, $5 words tonight. Yeah. But you can measure it. It's good. <laughs> um, how about this one? Uh, Evil Mani Mani asks, do you think Super Mario Maker will help teach people level design concepts? I'm sure Absolutely. it will. I'm sure Absolutely. it will. Because yeah, what, what's, what's going to be the first thing that people do when they make uh, Super Mario Maker? Oh, what happens if I have like 50 Koopa Troopas stacked on top of each other, falling on top right. of Mario as he sits at the bottom of a, of a pit of full of spikes? Mario oh, dies. he dies because it's really freaking hard. Yeah. Okay, now let's okay. actually now let's actually try and see what happens if I can design a level. Right. right. And I, I do like the the steps Nintendo's taken because uh, you can upload your your uh, stages online and people can download them and I'm sure there will be like oh most popular this week and stuff like that. But you have mm-hmm. to be able to beat the level before you can upload it, which I think is a really good way of doing that. Um, yes. So you're yeah you're, you're gonna have to design it well enough so that you can actually beat it before you can actually share it with others. That's that's um, mm-hmm. that again sh- showing or, or or teaching through doing instead of telling. Uh, yes. Nintendo's showing or teaching good game design through Super Mario Maker. In yeah, theory. I, I think, think it'll go that you know, way. Valve opened up the Source engine when Counter Strike went to Source. Um, you know, Halo had the Foundry. You know, there are games that are tr- that try very much to open up some of the tools that they use to develop their own levels, so that people can develop levels of their own to, to understand how difficult it is to make good levels. Um, one of the first things I think about is Excite Bike. You know, you could go to the create mode and you would just sit there and put out all these different, you know, and usually it would be ridiculous jumps uh, right in a row just to see how what that would be like. And you start to realize, like, man, this is really hard. This isn't. This isn't just a bunch of people that, that went. Okay, then you know what? We'll put this here and there, that there. Like people spend time playing the crap out of a concept to see if it's actually fun. Um, and that's a good thing for people to learn because you start to realize, that, you know, you start to recognize the things that are fun and the things that aren't fun. Um, which to me is what makes a, a good game a great game. Grubba asks what modern games do you think exhibit the highest quality of good game design we talked about skyrim um what do you think we talked about portal 2 portal 2 super mario brothers one we didn't really touch on uh but is also an example of perhaps the best video arguably the best video game ever is tetris Mm -hmm. because it's such a ridiculously easy concept it is and addicting so simple i mean There's not a lot to learn. It's, right. hmm, oh, I got these blocks fall. If, if you went into Tetris not knowing at all how to play it, which is, seems ridiculous, it seems like not knowing how to play Super Mario Brothers. But right. you have to think of yourself in that mindset. It's like, oh, I got these blocks that are falling. Uh, geez, what happens if I just like try to stick them in with each other? Oh, okay. Oh, wait, there's a horizontal line, and it disappeared when I completed it. Oh, that's the point. Oh, okay. Huh. What happens if I like wait and try to till I get a long piece and do four at a time? Oh, I get more points that way. That's literally all there is to the game, <laughs> but it's very, very entertaining. If you look at other puzzle games from around that time period, like Wario's Woods, which was the last NES game ever released, 
That game is so convoluted. Uh, I, I still don't really know how to play it <laughs> uh, because there's so much going on and, and concepts that are not, um, they aren't intuitive and you forget about them. Yeah. Uh, I, Tetris is just an amazing, amazing game. Tetris is fantastic. It's, it's one of those things too that is uh, very, a very casual game, but something where you learn the rules and you can become obsessed with trying to become better at it. And you can always seemingly achieve the next level of, of greatness in the game. Uh, that's such a tough thing to do, man. I mean, I, I absolutely mm. love the concept behind Tetris. It, 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 and it never gets old. Oh, oh, who is the guy who developed Tetris? I should know this. Um, Gosh, uh, I can see his face. He's got beard. Yeah. Paget Nov? No. Uh, uh, no. Alexi Pet? No. Is it Alexi Paget Nov? Uh, yeah, it is. Alexi Pagetnov. That's what it okay. is. Okay. Whew. Okay, I feel better now. Um, all Seems right. Like Sonic nice Rose asked me about 100 questions, so I'm just going to pick one here. <laughs> um, okay. Do you prefer bright and bubbly games that beat physics to death with a baseball bat, a la Kirby, uh, <laughs> Klonoa, Knights, um, Mario... Or gritty realism in games, like every shooter. Uh, depends on my mood. It depends on what I'm, yeah. what I want to do in a game. Yeah. If I'm looking for, yeah, it depends. Um, I, I don't. It was funny. I, I want realism if I'm playing game Grand Theft Auto. I, I want silly craziness. Uh, yeah, I know, right? I want. Would you, would you rather? Let want, me ask you a question. I want silly craziness. Would you rather have Super Mario Brothers? Would you rather have Grand Theft Auto 6 or would you rather have Grand Theft Auto Vice City 2? Well, yeah, but the 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 well, Vice City 2. But Of course. But 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 that's that's still a realistic Well, um, is that really gritty realism the way Well, that, compared the way to Super Mario realism? Brothers, yes. Uh, I guess you're right. I guess you're right. But but at the same time, but I mean, just cuz it's silly doesn't mean it's gritty. Part Part of the cartoonishness of 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 that style of Vice City is entertaining to me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I see your point. So he, here's what I would say, and this is this is kind of a crazy thought that I that I just had. But I think when I was younger, when I was a teenager, all I wanted was the gritty realism. I thought that was the gold standard. Mm -hmm. As I get older, I actually kind of enjoy. The fun, bubbly stuff. I will say I enjoy the fun, bubbly stuff more often nowadays. Yeah. I mean, like, there's... And I don't know why that is. I mean, I don't know. I, I think that's... I don't know if that's curmudgeonly or not. I'm not sure. But I think the idea of playing a self-contained Super Mario Brothers game that is, you know, that brings... That continues to breathe new life into the platformer and the 3D platformer. That, to me, is incredible fun and is so entertaining and is something I don't have to worry about in terms of introducing to, you know, kids and, and all that other kind of stuff later on in life. It's, it's just, it's awesome. Gritty realism, you know, to a certain extent gets old. If you're somebody out there that is a little bit, like, how many of you out there, I do this sometimes, will go watch a show on TV just because it's really, really old? Like, Watch something like Growing Pains or watch Full House or watch Family Matters. Oh, man, that's my love again. 
yeah, show me that smile. But you you watch the <laughs> you watch that show and you go, man, I just want to remember. Or even like Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? Which is I starting to show its age a bit. Yeah, I just want to go watch a show that kind of has that you know utopian kind of everything's clean and nice. Because I'm so sick of the gritty realism of what's of what TV has become in some ways. Sure. But I, I still like Game of Thrones, don't get me wrong. But if everything is Game of Thrones, then don't we kind of become way too cynical to watch like a full house? Right. And to me, that's a, that's a problem. Like I, I, sometimes I just want to have the good, clean, wholesome fun uh, and pe- of full house. I think people have been saying that with TV lately, too. Uh, yeah. With things like sci-fi you know Battlestar Galactica for example was like oh very dark gritty sci-fi compared to the more quote-unquote bubbly versions of sci-fi from like Star Trek that was around Mm -hmm. in the 90s you know you look at Voyager versus Battlestar Galactica two ostensibly similar shows ridiculously different um and I I, things go in waves I I think after a uh, lot more darker sci-fi and darker tv in general things like Breaking Bad Game of Thrones there's a more of a movement toward some more fun kind of uh, uh, TV shows as of late. Yeah. Potentially, potentially but or at I least there's more people talk, asking for it. I should say it's, it's tough to put the toothpaste back in the tube to a certain extent. You, you know, you couldn't make, you know, family matters in the way that you made it back in the nineties. Oh, well, no. right now. No. Right. But you could make something that was, you know, a little more kind of, entertaining that wasn't as gritty and ugly as you know a lot of the shows that are out there today you know every show even like modern family and all these they 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 you know they just want to kind of rub social issues in your face you know i I think people like to just have kind of clean harmless fun every once in a while and even in shows that are i mean like and and, you know I'm, i'm talking out of both sides of my mouth you realize because to a certain extent isn't that doctor who Doctor Who, in some ways, is kind of like this utterly ridiculous. But in some ways, you know, that's that's kind of the fun of it. It's just kind of a cartoonish Doctor Who, right? Yes. You know, it's not supposed to be gritty realism. It's not supposed to make sense about the physics. It's just this cool, fun concept of this guy who, like, you know, it's almost in some ways just the Quantum Leap, the British version of Quantum Leap, right? Which is really never heard the opposite, of called Quantum that, Leap but... was the Quantum Leap was the was the American version of Doctor Who, but that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, I, I, so maybe, maybe I'm just maybe I'm just a jerk, but I like shows that can kind of regress through away from some of that gritty realism. Sometimes you just want to watch a YouTube poop. Sometimes you just want to watch a YouTube poop. Now, even YouTube poop is gritty in some ways because they do some really, gritty you know, poop. like there's there's some fun YouTube poops that like, you know, oh, rearrange things so that it says funny things. And then some people like just throw, I mean, just crazy stuff out there. And what's lock, what's lock. really sad, you know, what's really sad? I was just thinking about this the other day. What's really sad is that a lot of the original and most entertaining YouTube poops before things got way out of control and are now just everywhere. Because it's hard to watch them now. They're just gone because they used copyrighted material. Um, you know, there was this there was this whole series about the land before time that this guy did on YouTube poop, and it is absolutely hysterical. All gone. 
Hmm. Beauty and the Beastiality, all gone. Best, probably the best YouTube poop of all time. Sometimes anyway, you need lots of spaghetti. Lots of spaghetti. I hope she brought lots of spaghetti. All right, so uh, let's do lightning round kind of stuff on this, so we can oh, finish this whole thing off. Okay? Good God, yes. All right, um, Mr. K asks. With the Final Fantasy VII remake on the horizon, what minor quality of life improvement do you hope to see? And wait, he answers the question. I, for one, would like <laughs> to be able to skip the snowboard scene or have a meter that charts limit breaks. I would like yeah, skippable good, yeah. skippable cutscenes for the summons. Yeah, that's that that that's the that's the easiest one. You, you stole it. Done. If I can if I can cast Knights of the Round and just hit X to skip it, I'll do that. Um, man, that was easier than I thought. Well, it's, light, it's lightning round. Yeah, lightning round. Um, Marky's favorite old Hollywood starlet. Wow. Can I go with yeah, Jennifer Connelly? No, she's not old. Dang. She's kind of old now. Forever young. Wait a minute. Jennifer Connelly is not kind of old now. She's kind of old now. She's like what, 82? Yes. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I mean, come on. How old do you think she is? Uh, Jennifer Connelly, so we just said it, right? So she's probably 12, 13 years older than us. So I'd say she's probably, um, so that would make her like late 40s. 44. So oh, see, I was, like, I was like, wrong. Like I said, over the hill. Yeah, over the hill. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Boot her ass to the curb. Um, Ken from Street Fighter, what are your three favorite fan translations? If it has been released in English as a remake, it doesn't count. Man, how about we go from three to one? <laughs> okay. Three fan translations. Because I don't know. Yeah, fans, fans. Do you play any fan translations? Uh, Mother 3 is a really great fan translation. Which is what I thought you were going to say, so I didn't say anything. I mean, it's, it's just very in- impressive. So I, all around. A lot, a lot of work went into that. I have yeah. to say that's my, be- the, my favorite. <clears throat> but there are also fan translations done for like Final Fantasy V back in the day before it was re-released. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was also pretty good. Um, yeah, what other big fan translations have there been? Radical Dreamers. Radical Dreamers, which I did play, not great. Well, it's 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 a text adventure, basically. It's a cool, yeah, it's a cool Actually, experience, but it, it doesn't fit the Super yeah. Nintendo at all. Meh, meh. That's why it was on the Satella view. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Broccolope asks, when will the Foot Clan and the Grey Wolf Clan finally face off? Will Michael Bay be there? Now, I read this question initially because I actually thought it said Fall the Foot Clan, which was a game for the Game Boy. Oh, yeah. Um, It didn't say that, so I'm just going to move on. (laughs) Uh, I ignore your question. I ignore your question. Um, Let's finish with this, and I think this should be an allusion to our next an illusion to Gaia? No. That was to be an illusion. This is an allusion. Oh. Um, to our next show, which ironically, we should do this intentionally, the 65th show should be about the Nintendo 64. I like this idea. Because um, we have a lot to talk about with the 64. You and I both have a ton of experience with the 64. It's, it's a good topic. Never touched it. Conversation. Um. Psychopather asks, to get us started, what's your favorite Nintendo 64 game? 
Oh, man. Paul, Paul Blart Mall Cop. <laughs> 64. 64. Uh, My favorite game in the 64. You know, I really love Super Smash Brothers. Super Smash Brothers is good. I think I, I, think I had the most good. I think I had the most fun with it. I'll put it that way. Mm. If you're talking one player, player mm-hmm. games, uh... I am gonna say Mario Kart 64. And the reason I'm gonna say that is yeah. because, unlike Super Smash Brothers, Mario Kart 64 is a game you could play right now that has elements in it and is still fun now, even after all the sequels have come out. So it'd yeah. be pretty tough to play Melee or Brawl and then go back and play the one in 64 because it's in many ways just kind of a gimped version, mm-hmm. right? Um, but Mario Kart 64 is still fun. It still is novel. Um, it's a great game. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is there's lots of really great games for the system. Well, I mean, the, okay, not lots. Well, not, not lots, lots but the ones, that, the ones that are are very good. I mean, Ocarina of Time is very good. Probably not my favorite. Super Mario 64 is very good. Um, yeah. GoldenEye 64, or whatever Gold it's Nye, called. GoldenEye would, 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 would absolutely be... It's f- maybe... Probably, would probably be my number two. Maybe, maybe my number I was going to say maybe my first... My my favorite first player experience on the system, just because mm-hmm. it's so different from yeah from the South else. Park first person shooter. God, yeah. so I actually was thinking about that. That, that was, was an awful, awful game, awful game. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, a lot of the other games were just not as good on the sixty four because it was the first three D version of them. You know, <sighs> Star Fox sixty four is not that great. Um, <laughs> There's a solid like ten good. Nintendo 64 games. Yeah, I mean that's what I mean. Like, there's a handful of good games, but it's there's not a lot of great games. Um, hmm. Final Fantasy VII. Oh no, they're. Oh. Um, man, I don't know. I, uh, you know, uh, that's that's a tough thing to say. I really enjoyed the hell out of Pilot Wings, but I wouldn't miss, Ooh, think it's the greatest. I, it's not the greatest. greatest. I did have more yeah. fun with that than I probably should have. No. no. Also, Star Fox 64 is good. It's good, but I, I think I put Pilot Wings over. Eh, maybe not. Nah. I put Star Fox probably over Pilot Wings. E- even All Shadows right, anyway. of the Empires is is decent. Shadows of the Empires is a is a is a good Star Wars game. It kind of leads the way for where people go with like you know Star Wars games that that follow it, um, like Rebel not not Rebel Assault. Um, what am I thinking of? Uh, is it no. Rebel Assault? What's what's the what's that's the, a thing. There's, yeah, that's, that's that is a thing, but it's not that's not the game that immediately followed. Anyway, I'm thinking of all kinds of weird Star Wars games now that have nothing to do with Man, what I'm actually talking you're about. You're bad at lightning round. Uh, not Rogue Squadron, but anyway. All right, so um, I know, but that that'll that'll conclude our broadcast day. So I like the idea of talking 64. Maybe <laughs> well, maybe you maybe I'll talk it over with you, and maybe we won't talk 64 next time. But we pretty much already talked about it. That's it. But if you like it, you should come and come back and. Yeah. Here's next time. And you'll see us in two weeks here. Same bat time, same bat channel. Uh, I'll be Wednesday, July 15th, 2015, 9 p.m. Eastern. Because we are a real life podcast and uh, we do it every 
other week now. You can find us on Stitcher. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Android podcatching apps of your choice. Search for Echo Screen Live. You'll find us. I promise. Yes. And uh, to answer Sonic Rose's question, if we had a Patreon, would we make more videos? Probably, Probably not. <laughs> so if any of you were thinking of trying to support us financially, we appreciate it. But yep. don't worry about it. That's not why we're, we're not uh, making videos. It's because we don't have any time. Yeah, money's um, not a problem. Thank goodness. No, thank goodness we have time for this program and all of you share it with us. So mm-hmm. thank you for all of you for sharing it with us. And thank you for listening as always and participating for some of you that uh, asked questions and uh, hopefully got some answers to those questions. For those of you that didn't have your questions answers, you can't blame me because we, we went almost an hour over time now, for God's sake. So come on. I'm trying to ask every question out there, but we just can't get it done. Um, so thank you all for asking questions. Thank you for joining us here on the Echo Screen Live. I hope you learned something about game design. I hope you learned something about you know the Nintendo 64, maybe, um, maybe even about uh, you know meatballs and gravy. Who knows? Mm, or or rib sauce. Or rib sauce. Uh, join us next time for more interesting and fun topics regarding those things. Oh yeah! Happy birthday! Oh, thanks, everybody. <laughs> thanks. I had to have Sonic Rose remind me. That's hilarious. The birthday wishes. Yeah. Uh, join us next time when it's not my birthday, and we will uh, and we will all uh, have this much fun all over again. So until then, for Rue, I am the Commodore for the Echo Screen Live, the official podcast of the Clan of the Gray Wolf, and there is no reset button. I never, I never realized that you shared a birthday with Canada. Yes, I do. I do. I share a birthday with Canada, although I'm not Canadian. I don't know if you know that. Are you sure? Hey. I am pretty positive. Although I do share a birthday with Princess Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but, but she's dead. No. Uh, uh, unlike Canada. Unlike Canada. Yes. <laughs> Good night, America Light. We love you.